Hello, beautiful people. We just wrapped up recording with my dear friend and dear human, Erin Browning. Julie, this was the first time you met Erin, and I just thought it was, I knew it was going to be a great conversation, and it was so much bigger than I could have imagined. Mm, I agree. I did a little bit of research on Erin and what she does and her background um, from her website and social media and whatnot and everything that you have shared with me, Lindsay, and it just just a, a conversation that evolved into something so much bigger than anything I could have imagined as well with her background in speech and neurodiversity and breathwork, really melding all of those things to be super practical and surrounded with so much love. So it's a beautiful conversation and so many pieces of practical wisdom. Yeah. Erin has experienced in her words, some tragedy in her life. And she talks about how Ayurveda and yoga and breath work has given her a foundation to get ahead of her stress and move through it in a very practical way, filled with love. Mm. I'm excited to share this one with everyone. Let's get into it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to your weekly woo. I'm Julie Heishi. And I'm Lindsay Page. We come to you today to shed light on unconventional methods of healing, living, being in the world. While some people may call these practices woo, we're here to talk about merging the spiritual with the practical, about becoming empowered to choosing your journey to wholeness. Everyone's path to finding joy is a unique and beautiful game of trial and error, full of important lessons. We're here to share our journey, our experiences, and our truth, so maybe your road doesn't have to be as bumpy as ours was, or simply to remind you that you're not alone. We bring on guests to join us for these chats so they can impart their wisdom and probably teach us a thing or two as well. We believe empowerment comes from knowledge and frame of mind. You may see or care for yourself differently after learning a new perspective. This creates a ripple effect for how you show up in the world. So take what sticks and leave the rest. You are your own greatest healer, your own guide, your own guru. We're here to take this journey with you, one woo conversation at a time. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to your weekly woo I am joined by Julie and our guest, Erin Browning, today. Hi, ladies. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you all for having me here today. Erin, I'm really glad to see your shining, bright face. We've spent a little bit of time offline getting to know each other and catching up on the week. Before we dive into what you do, we usually ask our guests about the word woo and what it means, because what we're finding is that while there's a similar thread, there's really no simple understanding or idea or common idea that I thought we had to debunk. So the conversation has evolved over time and evolved through the interviews that we're having. So what does woo mean to you, Erin? Let me first say I love the word. Just the word woo itself. (laughs) And I play with this word a lot. By play with this word a lot, I mean, I use it in my work. And I work a lot with medical professionals, highly stressed out, high performing people. 
that is a lot of the client base that I see. And so oftentimes, because I'm working with medical professionals, I'll do things and then I'll say, well, this might be a little bit woo woo. Uh (laughs) And they laugh at me. So I make a joke of it. But what woo is to me is this is the woo is the best part of all the work that I do. Mm. And when I really try to put it into words, it is the piece that is beyond practical and tangible. And it's always there and it's where the magic lies and it is the powerhouse. It's the force and the woo is connection with whatever you want to call it, intuition, energy, spirit, God, that bigger source where the beauty happens, where the the coolness lies. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my favorite definition yet, powerhouse and beauty. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is that. It is that. And for me, when I talk about practical and tangible, it's beyond practical and tangible. But to get to the woo, I think you have to do some practical, tangible things first. Totally. And I don't necessarily mean that in a linear fashion, right? But they have to coexist. Perfect. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love that definition. And you mentioned in there that you have to use it very frequently with the work that you do. Tell us a little bit about that and how that intersects with, with the woo for you. I am a health counselor and a breathwork practitioner, and I see people one-on-one for this type of work. I also do public speaking. So I talk, talk to large groups, often medical professionals, teachers, and people who are more in, I'm going to just call it for simplicity's sake, I feel like your audience will probably know what the 3D realm is, right? Totally. Um, so <laughs> I don't run in the yoga world too much. I don't operate in that capacity, I operate in a really like 3D, factual, evidence-based world. I give some practical and tangible tools to people about how to clear their bodies, clear their minds, settle their nervous systems. And I do this again, one-on-one and in a broader context, but nobody really cares about that part. (laughs) And I don't either. Uh, it's lovely and it's fun and it's necessary. However, the the good stuff is really when you can clean house enough and clear out your internal system to where you can access your most authentic self. And that's also woo. So I have mm-hmm. to tell people that all of these practical things are going to help you feel better. They're going to help you feel more in balance. They're going to help you get through times of crisis and get in front of your stress. But the good stuff is really after that. And when you say that nobody, you said that nobody really cares about that part, what were you referring to? I mean, we all know it, right? You're supposed to eat more vegetables. You're supposed to drink more water. You're supposed to walk every day. Like how many times do we have to say it? (laughs) So true. And sometimes we forget it because we get so bogged down and so clogged up with what the world's throwing at us, the stress that the world's throwing. What do you see with the people that you work with that love to walk in the three-dimensional 
Why do you think they forget? Why do you think we have to keep, myself included, hearing the same message over and over again? I believe we are all kind of living in survival mode. And I think the pandemic has increased that. And I think our world has changed and we have so much sensory input and so much expectation and so much doing. We forget those things. We forget what works, very practically what works. Mm -hmm. And even more than that, we forget what it feels like to be on the other side. We forget what it feels like to be clear and to be confident and calm and to be able to trust ourselves. Absolutely. I love that you said like the internal sort of housekeeping. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and, and teaching about a bit. And it's, it's the things that we do all the time, like drink the water, eat the vegetables, go for the walk, exercise, meditate, whatever it is. Like that's the housekeeping and keeping the cobwebs out, keeping, you know, the, the tending of the soil and the running of the water. Like all of those things, as you mentioned, create more space for joy and ease and balance. And I love, love, love that you said that's just the beginning. Because once you have those things in place, it's almost like the, the doors are wide open. The possibilities just begin to come. Can you talk a little bit more about what's on the other side? Yeah. So I'd like to say that the work I do includes those things and transcends those things. Because in that transcendent piece, the other side is really just this amazing and I sound like really woo right now, don't I? <laughs> but it's this amazing <laughs> omnipresent love. It is connection and connection beyond this physical form, this physical lifetime. It, it's this balance between like being here right now and present. And there is connection beyond this world. There is connection mm -hmm. to spirit. There is connection to other lifetimes. There is connection to the other side of the veil. There is all this amazing, <laughs> I keep going back to it because it really blows my mind when I mm. think of that omnipresent love. Mm. And that's like beyond joy even, right? Yeah. That's beyond yeah. stability and balance and joy and getting in front of your stress. That's beyond all of those things. But if you don't have those other things in place, if you don't have the simple practical stuff in place, you can't get there. At least that's my belief. Yeah, for sure. It's like having a foundation that's not sturdy. You can't really build anything on top of that without it sort of like being a little wonky and crumbling at one point. Mm. Yeah. I love that so much. I want to dive into all the mystical and 5D things that you're, that you're talking about. But before we get there, before we get ahead, I think it's really important to share with people the practical side of what your background is and how you got here and then what those tools that you use with your medical professionals really look like. Can I just talk like my history for a minute? Yeah. Okay. So about maybe, you know, 12 or so years ago, I was traveling around the country and teaching to medical professionals. So I would, wow. I had a 
these workshops that I had developed. I taught a lot about neurodiversity. I taught about age-related brain changes and nervous system changes. And I taught to nurses and therapists and physical therapists, not so many doctors. Most of them were not ready for my conversations. Yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although they do like it once they get to know me and the woo. So I was traveling around the country teaching on all of these things. And I started to notice this pattern that at the end of the workshop, so I'd be talking in front of an audience for like six hours or eight hours. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was rough and flying everywhere. And so my own nervous system needed a lot of love that I wasn't Mm -hmm. equipped to give it 12 years ago. And then I started to notice these patterns that during a break or at the end of the course, these people would come up and they would say, well, I really love what you're teaching. It will help my patients, but I'm really here today because my life is so stressful and my son has autism and I don't know what to do for him. And what emerged was this pattern of people who really thought they needed to learn what to do for the person they were helping, but they really needed to learn what to do for themselves. So my talk started to shift drastically. The 30-minute section on the vagus nerve turned into the hour and a half section on the vagus nerve. The 30-minute section on the diaphragm and breathing turned into an hour and a half on the diaphragm and breathing. And I got great feedback from the people who were there. The problem was the company that I was working for did not like that because it was not the tried and true evidence-based practice that was going to put the butts in the seat and pay the bills and get the commissions. And it wasn't as marketable. I really just saw all of this. (laughs) I saw my life kind of flash very quickly. And I'll tell you what that was like. Within the same week, I found out I had a melanoma skin cancer. Thank God I'm okay. Like it was in the skin. They were able to remove it, but that's scary. Or at least it was very scary for me. I found out that my ex-husband, I mean, he was my husband at the time, he's ex now, found out that he was having an affair with one of our employees. And I found out that this job that I was doing was going down the toilet very quickly. And they wanted me to either revamp my course to hit their marketable points or be done with it. So within one week, I had my, my skin, my literal boundary, I had holes cut in it. That's what it felt like. That sounds dramatic, but it's what it felt like at that moment. And I watched my marriage start this unraveling, which was highly dramatic unraveling that took a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And my job went poof, gone (laughs) all at one time. So I learned really quickly that I had a whole lot of stress. (laughs) A whole lot of stress. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And so these practices became super important and I stopped teaching and I had been practicing Kundalini yoga for myself and I stopped Kundalini yoga because it was not very grounding. And I leaned full force into my own version of breathing from all these things that I had learned. And I leaned full force into Ayurveda and some very clear physical practices to stay grounded and really just developed the practical tools, the breathing, really like revolutionary and radical love and care for myself. No holds barred care and love for myself. I had no idea that you were a Kundalini. 
Well, I'm not like a certified master kundalini or kundalini. Still, that, <laughs> th- those practices are powerful. I had no idea. I'm I'm curious if that's where a lot of your like self-regulation vagus nerve diaphragm stuff comes from or if that was like a a different background that you learned yeah so no I'm a speech pathologist by education so Mm. if you can't breathe you can't speak yeah and so I learned that 25 years ago in school the anatomy like from a very scientific standpoint this is this is what your respiratory system does this is what your nervous system does And that's why I think medical professionals like to work with me is because I can break it down on that realm rather than a more esoteric way as well. So that's where it started. The Kundalini, though, in hindsight, that was the catalyst that gave me a voice that that gave me my implosion week. (laughs) Right. Mm. That was it. You got to break it down to build it back up for sure. You have such an interesting story and background. Well, <laughs> let's just say I'm not an easy lesson learner. I am yeah. here on this planet Earth in this physical body at this point in time. And I've just had to surrender to the fact that I am meant to be here to burn through it all, whatever it is, or breathe through it all, really, is what I'm going to say today. Mm. Um, but really, the breath allows me to just like, burn through it all and not everybody has that same path and I used mm-hmm. to feel very unfortunate that that was my path because I was like oh my god why why am I such a hard lesson learner I've never been able to learn things the easy way Erin <laughs> when's your birthday like the the day and the month August 29th my Virgo Julie, is your cat playing? No, it's my dog out there prancing around. They do this every time I close myself in this room. They go and prance right back and forth across the floor. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I have like a little terrorist of a cat and she loves, as soon as we start recording, she's like, let me do all the things. Sorry, I'm I'm blanking on you, Julie. (laughs) It's fine. I mean, it's normally me, so I get it. (laughs) Oh my God. The reason I asked you about uh, your birthday was because as part of Kundalini, I think, you know, is like tantric numerology doing birthdays and month and and years and stuff is always interesting calculation, especially when we talk about like lessons learned, like some of us, that's the path we're on. We just need to hear things a bajillion times. And then eventually we're like, oh, right. (laughs) But it's interesting that eight, the eight month that's all about your pranic body we can talk about it another time because i think that you you get the woo enough that you'd be like oh my gosh this is actually cool um your pranic body is like obviously your breath and uh your power that comes from having a lot of prana running through your system it's a huge power the prana running through my system and and so what i know on my personal journey has been that it looks like breathing the practices breathing writing, journaling, writing, and voicing. And there's so much power in that. And I'm not, that's not unique to me. There is power in all of those things for so, so, so many people. That is a big piece of the personal practices that have really allowed me to burn through whatever tragedy strikes at the moment. 
<laughs> and let me also say, I don't want to come off as like victim here. So I say that, but also on the flip side of those tragedies, I feel like I can experience joy in a way that maybe many don't ever get to touch on. So my sensory system and my ability to be present once I work through those pranic shifts, it's amazing. It's untouchable. You're diving into it a little bit already, but I would really make like to make it a little bit more practical, but then also hear how you apply these practical practices in your life. And you've mentioned the word tragedy and you've mentioned some hardships that you had. So I would love to hear just from your perspective, how have you woven this in mm-hmm. to your life? Let's start with last year. Okay. Yeah. Like this time last year, 2020, we had this pandemic. Everybody was doing things in a drastically different way. We were all like on the same struggle bus. I think things were tough for everyone. Life was essentially shut down. And I was working some in a hospital, working with my clients, although I couldn't breathe face to face with people any longer. So that shifted a whole, like it shifted everything. And my personal life had settled way beyond what I talked about earlier with divorce and all the craziness. And I had an amazing partner, this amazing man, and his son, and we all lived together. His son lived with us part-time and his mother part-time. So we had this blended family, which was complicated. Even when it's wonderful, it's still complicated. And my stepson started really struggling in school and in life. And I am a newish parent. So his dad and I had been together five years. And we like to joke that I was parenting a five-year-old and he was parenting a 15-year-old because he had been at it for 15 years, but I only had five years of experience with this. So the stress levels in my body were huge. My stepson also had ADHD, has ADHD. So I was watching like, how does this impact my family? How do I weave some of the things I know in. So we started looking at like very clearly what kind of diet we all needed to eat. And I'm not talking diet, like let's get fit diet, but diet, like let's settle our systems. Let's try to keep clean, clear systems so that we can move through the stressors we need to. How are we as a family going to get in nature like daily? And we started volunteering at a greenhouse. There's an autism center here in town where there's food grown, organic food, non-neurotypical people grow food there. And we were working with these people as a family, um, really like getting our hands in the dirt, moving our bodies looking at how do we do these things in a real practical way that works for the entire family, not just I'm going to hole up in a room, which is my tendency. Erin's going to hole up in her room and turn on some weird music and chant. (laughs) And my stepson, (laughs) who called his term is the Ayurveda voodoo magic. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Right? So that is my tendency. But I had to really kind of like shift gears and say, how do I do this purposefully? And I thought I was really stressed. Okay? So I thought that was a really stressful time. 
But what was happening was I was weaving in a foundation, doing all these practices. And I think you've talked about this foundation, Julie. Mm. I was building a foundation because what I didn't know was that life was about to get real stressful, y'all. So December 7th of 2020, I had a normal day, did some work, came home. My lover and I had what we thought was a normal evening. We had dinner, we joked, we laughed, we had amazing in-depth conversation. We went to bed. Uh, He said, I'm not feeling too great. And if I can't get comfortable, I'm going to go to the couch because I don't want to disturb your sleep. And about 45 minutes later, I woke up to a very loud noise and my nervous system, my body, Every bit of my being knew that something was very wrong. And I went into the living room and um, I watched him take his last couple breaths. I called 911, you know, hysterically screaming. I did all the things, the CPR. It, It seemed like hours. It was like less than 10 minutes that they actually got here. I don't know if you guys can hear my dogs playing, but they are crazy. And I'm going to tell you something about this. This is, this is Dave. This is what's happening. Every time I tell this, chaos ensues. Every time I tell this. I went through all of those motions and I walked to the back of the room and I watched the squad do their work and I knew he was gone and he died. He had a massive heart attack. And his heart had given its last beat, its last effort. Um, Shock and devastation came in the next days to follow. So the next probably 72 hours, I was in complete and utter shock. I mean, you can ask any friend I talked to. I maybe didn't say this to my parents because they think I'm nuts already. But every single friend I talked to, I said, and we knew this was happening. So Mm. all of this devastation and shock was occurring. This horrible, tragic event of losing the love of my life. I feel like we walked through that evening together in a way that, I mean, we had enough conversation for a lifetime. At the time, I thought, like, was he sick and I was missing something because it was heavy But in hindsight, it was God. It was this presence. It was this intuition that just let us know we needed to say what we needed to say that evening. Now, practically, I could not get my breath for like the first 72 hours. I literally would have to go outside in, you know, 15 degree weather and run until I was out of breath and could gain my breath again and activate that vagus nerve. I sometimes would sit with my hands on my thighs and just say, breathe, Aaron, breathe, Aaron, breathe. And it turned into what I have now uh, named the horse breath, (laughs) 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 which if you've spent any time around horses, they do that thing that is like regulating of the nervous system. And that's about all I could do was this gasp and forceful Mm. air out. I mean, for days, that's where I was. But thank God my nervous system had some practice to know to do that and not Mm -hmm. to do what I did 
like in the first few days after divorce or after when my dad died when I was 20, which was like, let's go drink booze and hang out with a bunch of boys and make poor decisions. Thank God I had laid a foundation. I do have questions, but I just want to, I wanted to make space to like acknowledge the weight of your story and your experience. It's been a heavy one. There's something about grief, I think, that is a little different than everyday stressors that you have to learn to carry it. It does not go away. It is not going to go away. And from the very beginning, I have known there was support for that carrying. Where did that support come from for you? It came from my spiritual practice. It came from my relationship with um, ever-present love. It came from knowing and trusting that love for myself more than anything else and allowing that love to come in, that self-love. That's so cliche. Mm -hmm. I hate the word self-love. I hate the word self-care, honestly. (laughs) It's like, this is all BS. And it is so true. But I had made a space for love to come into me in a way that I'd never had before. And that really had only happened probably in the past like three to four years that I really was able to cultivate that. Yeah. Well, there's different layers of that. You know, there's different layers of self-love and just love and acceptance and care. I like that you made the sort of juxtaposition of what you might have done in your younger years versus what you did in this particular situation. At the time when you were younger, that was your form of self-care. Yeah. Right. Was it, you know, healthy for you at the time? Who knows? But things shift, and I I really love that you mentioned that because there's no one-size-fits-all way to love yourself, to care for yourself. And sometimes it's a little wonky, and sometimes it just fits. But creating that toolbox, the foundation, is the special sauce. It's a testament to doing the work and having the work work for you. Yeah, and let me also say, because I don't, want to give a wrong or a false impression I am not a teetotaler and if you're not from the south that means somebody who does not drink who does not do any (laughs) of the things so even in this episode I mean when we had Dave's celebration of life last week two weeks ago six months after he died we finally had enough COVID relief and felt comfortable and confident enough to do a celebration of life we gave out shots of moonshine, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we took it we took a shot of moonshine and we wrote the word out fucking standing cuz that was his word which makes me cringe to say it because like you really <laughs> have to say that all the time. But we did. We I had those monogrammed on the shot glasses and everybody there took a shot of moonshine and I've had plenty of nights where I like, you know, drank a little too much wine or decided it was margarita night. And I knew what I was doing and just kind of relaxing and socializing and finding some of that social rest in a way. There was awareness there. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It wasn't used as coping. It wasn't used as let's cover up what's going on inside of me. 
it was let's drink a little booze and have some fun with my friends and be present Mm -hmm. with them. I'm thinking about Aaron, the listeners who listened to your story and heard it for the first time. And what we didn't share in the beginning is I actually know you pretty well. And I'm hearing a lot of these things through a different lens, you know, a second or a third time. And I'm trying to also be very clear about how other people can learn lessons from your story. When I hear you talk about how you made space for love, and that's one thing that like supported you and carried you, can you share, how does somebody get there? If someone's just feeling like really lost, how does somebody get there? So I think there are a few things. I think number one is to just slow it all down. It might mean a full stop for a period of time. And that is personal. So your full stop doesn't have to be a month vacation or two weeks of solitude, whatever. That is personal. And you get to decide that for yourself, what that slowdown or that stop looks like. So I think that is the first thing. I think the second thing, and this is a question I ask my clients a lot, where is your heart and where is your mind? No matter what you're doing, even if it is sitting on the couch, resting, even if it is lying in the backyard in your practice of self-care, where is your heart and where is your mind? And continually asking yourself that question, no matter what you're actually doing. So I think that those are two key things. I think the other key would be to genuinely ask for and accept support. Know that you do not have to carry this alone and lean into that. Lean into the the support that you have and the so there's got to be somebody or something. And if you don't have friends that you do that with, if you don't have a network of community that you do that with, then find it. <laughs> look for it there we live in this world and so as much as connectivity is frustrating and you know the internet can be frustrating a source of frustration for a lot of people you can pretty much find anything you need on the internet Mm -hmm. there are sources of support there are places where you can do the work so those to me are like the beginnings right if you're really just in a point of devastation and if you want something physical to do, breathe, put your hand Mm -hmm. on your belly, even if it feels weird and just slow down your breath, exhale a little longer than you inhale and do that with presence and consciousness. The breath is such an amazing tool. I use the word tool, but it's really a gift that we all have and it's so easy to access. We're doing it thousands of times a day, millions of times a year. And if we're just a little present to it, it can radically change how we feel about ourselves and ourselves, situations that present themselves to us. It even changes our health on a very physical level. It will change your health if you change how you breathe. I think it is our greatest gift, really. I agree. I want to backtrack because you spoke a couple of times and mentioned the nervous system and the vagus nerve. What do our listeners need to know about that? What would you like to share about that as a practical practice or just knowledge that we need to walk forward with? So I will give you my take on the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is activated through breathing and that is beautiful and wonderful and it will help calm the nervous system. It is called the wanderer. So its innervations are endless not literally endless, but there are so many innervations 
for the vagus nerve. And voice is also Mm -hmm. a way that you activate the vagus nerve. So the breath is beautiful and our greatest gift. And on the flip side of that, our voice, it's transforming. Mm -hmm. So this can be as simple as singing, humming, chanting. So there's huge power in chanting Sanskrit words, right? And if you're not into that, then just find your favorite song and sing it. So the voice also is tremendously helpful for vagus nerve activation, for calming the nervous system and settling the nervous system and finding regulation in that aspect of the physical body. Gosh, Erin, so good. Those are such great practical practices of how you've applied it to your life, but also something that anyone else can can use and apply to. I mean, how often do we love to sing along to our favorite songs? Really practical, simple things that we can do in our life to, to maintain health. Health in our physical body, health in our mental, emotional body, health in our bliss body, health everywhere. Mm-hmm. All the health. Mm-hmm. The vagus nerve is almost, you you mentioned it was the wanderer. Does it wander between all the layers of ourselves? Like we talk about the koshas here a lot, the physical, the mental, emotional, the energetic, and so on. It wanders between and around and within all of those. Yeah. This is very woo, but here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's so true. I think that is 100% it. Because our actions even do that. Our thoughts and our actions and our energy, all of that moves through the koshas. So the vagus is not, it's not only a sensory nerve or only a motor nerve. It is both of those. So that's like a very literal description, but I definitely think that it does move through all the layers of the self and then beyond. Because it's your voice and your voice and your story that goes into the ethers. That goes everywhere. That impacts in ways we never know. They're never going to be tangible. When you tell your story, when you bring voice to your heart and your passion and you allow that to be gifted to the world, that changes everything even beyond this lifetime. And really practically, it changes you, your physical, your mental, emotional in the moment. Your nervous system does a thing when you share your heart and you're vulnerable. That's amazing. It really is. The voice is such a a powerful tool. Yeah. And so just talking about like my life's work and what I do with clients and that magic for me is amazing because I started my career when I was in my early 20s, just knowing how to fix the voice, how to produce voice, how to fix the voice, how to like Mm. just the muscles from a simple muscle group. How do you breathe? How do you make voice? How do you troubleshoot this? And now it has gone like full scale into how do you do that? And how does that impact every cell of your being? and every cell of every other person's being. That's fascinating, Erin. When was that shift from the speech and the breath into this sort of deeper understanding and teaching of it? It's ongoing, but I've always known it. It is an ongoing process of shifting. It's really been interesting for me. Part of the ongoing shift is that I've been able to listen 
to the people that I serve and understand what they can receive. Because sometimes you're just not ready to receive that. Certainly. And then sometimes you are. (laughs) I feel that like wholeheartedly with being a, a teacher of Kundalini yoga, like sometimes like people just don't, they're not ready. But I do believe that everyone who comes before us, whether it's a client or a student or even a friend, they're there for a reason and we have so much to share. And it's just a matter of that deep listening, which I think is another valuable part of the puzzle, being open to receive their wisdom and a a piece of them. Erin, we've stolen one of Oprah's questions as a way to wrap up our time together. What do you know for sure? Love. I know for sure that love exists and we are living in it and it's behind us and it's in front of us and it surrounds us and it is in every fiber of our bones and every cell in our body. We are that love and if we are open to experiencing it, it's just always going to be there. It's ever present. And again, I think we've hit on this, but we can talk about it in whatever way we want to talk about it. It can be God. It can be source. It can be spirit. It can be your practices. It can be your self-love. It can be your beloved who dies, but is still right here as evidenced by my tap dancing dogs. Every time I speak of his... <laughs> Every time I speak. Yeah. So that ever-present love is what I know for sure. And I know it's not unique to me. I know it is accessible to every single person who Mm. listens today. Every single person Mm. or who listens in the future. That is, it is there for your taking. Erin, thank you so much for sharing your story and being here with us today. I feel so much like joy and love like I I really do think that that's what it is and when you just shared about love being in the the future and the past all around us I had this like opening in my solar plexus area that was like really beautiful (laughs) it's the power of voice it's the power of our Mm -hmm. stories and our resilience and our connection it's like this invisible golden thread that just ties us all together if someone would like to find you or follow along with you or work with you how would they do that Erin there are a few things you can do if you go to my website which is erin-browning.com the dash is a hyphen erin-browning.com there are is an online course. It is chock full of the practical tools and it is just a great resource with a lot of downloads, downloadable documents that you can use as tools for yourself. And I'm going to put a code in. So if your listeners type in the code WOO, W-O-O, they'll get 20% off. Mm, fabulous. Thank you. If you really want the real deal goodness that we've spent most of our time talking about today, then you can contact me for one-on-one sessions. Those are done at a distance or, you know, or in person, depending on the location of the person. And also you can just follow me on Instagram, erin.l.browning or on Facebook. And that's EB Spaces of Brown. Amazing. Thank you for your time. I loved this today. Yeah, pretty good. So good. I think we got some good stuff. Oh yeah. (laughs) Till next time, friends. 